Welcome to another episode of About Mansfield, your audio newspaper. I'm Steve Casillo with the June 14th. 2023, 177th edition, always broadcasting from the Somark Studios, along with Colleen Daniel and the About Mansfield News Team. Did you survive the hailstorm? Apparently you did. Coming up today, it's Mansfield News, sports and weather for the upcoming week. And a little later in the episode, you will have a chance to win a $25 gift card to a Mansfield restaurant of your choice with our Mansfield trivia question, courtesy of Joe Jenkins Farmers Insurance. Let's take a look at the stories we're covering this week. Juneteenth event promises to be the best yet. Council increases homestead exemption. We'll talk about it in a moment with the mayor. MISD recognized for music education program. Mansfield ISD committee to host community forum regarding high school boundaries. Downtown Mansfield gears up for a walk around the boutiques. In sports, Lake Ridge grad achieves more. We have the seven-day weather forecast. And in the talk segment, Steve talks in studio with walkable city author Jeff Speck. We are Mansfield's only source for news, talk, and information. This is About Mansfield. Hi, this is Paul Duncan with Trinity Roofing and Construction. There are over 7,500 roofers in the North Texas area, and when a major hailstorm blows through town, that number skyrockets with companies as far away as Montana. In the planning stages of re-roofing your home, it's normal for customers to ask questions such as, where are they based out of and how many years experience do they have roofing in North Texas? Trinity Roofing and Construction can answer each of these questions with confidence. As a family-owned, Mansfield-based business since 2011, Trinity Roofing and Construction recently received a Product Excellence Award by Owens Corning and are a Platinum Preferred Contractor with Owens Corning. Contact us today for a free, no-obligation video roof inspection. Rated A-plus with the Better Business Bureau, Trinity Roofing and Construction. A Mansfield company, not only replacing roofs, but building relationships. Find us on the web at trinityroofingconstruction.com. That's trinityroofingconstruction.com. Hey, it's Steve Casillo. I want to take a second to tell you about Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio 3.0. It's where we record and produce the About Mansfield podcast episodes. What started out as an audio-only studio, Podcast Mansfield is now a full-service audio and video recording studio, complete with custom green screen backgrounds, two high-definition cameras, editing, mixing, and mastering capabilities, and we can also help market your podcast. Podcast Mansfield is home to such great locally produced shows, such as Wealth Building Made Simple, we are TPM and Wealth Think Tank Television, just to name a few. So whether you're a hands-on person or just need a place to record your podcast or need advice from concept to completion, Podcast Mansfield is here to help. Conveniently located on Heritage Parkway, just off of 287 right here in Mansfield, mention the About Mansfield podcast and you get to record your first episode at no charge. For more information on starting your podcast, or if you're looking for a better place to record, Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio can be found on the internet at podcastmansfield.com. No matter your familiarity with buying or selling real estate, having an experienced, trusted advisor on speed dial is priceless. The Roger and Beth team of Century 21 Judge Fight is here to be that resource for you. Whether you're buying right here in Mansfield or your dreams are taking you elsewhere, we are ready to help you with turning that vision into a reality. To learn more, visit our website at homesinmansfield.com. That's homesinmansfield.com. 
Hi, this is Mansfield Chamber of Commerce CEO Lori Williams, and you're listening to About Mansfield. Welcome back to About Mansfield. This portion of the news is brought to you by Trinity Roofing and Construction. It's an annual event that started over 30 years ago as a community picnic, and it's grown into a citywide celebration for everyone. Steve caught up with one of the organizers of this year's Juneteenth celebration. With us on the phone is one of the organizers, Della Sapp. Welcome back to About Mansfield. Hello, Steve. Tell us about the uh, the upcoming Juneteenth celebration. Our Juneteenth this year will be downtown at the lot. Um, it will be from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m., you do not want to miss it. We have some great performance. We got some kiddo uh, games. We have our petting zoo. Um, you know, just a lot of family, friends, barbecue, you know, music, history. Um, we're going to come together and we're going to try it at the lot. It'll be much cooler. Uh, so we're just looking forward to seeing everyone. Nice. Uh, explain to the listeners who may not know the significance of Juneteenth. Uh, the uh, Let's talk about, okay, from a Mansfield point of view, the importance or the significance of of Juneteenth. Well, to me, okay, well, Juneteenth, I can't actually speak for Ms. Brenda Norwood, who actually started doing the Juneteenth for the community here in Mansfield, Texas. As we know, Juneteenth is um, the second Freedom Day uh, for Afro-Americans, uh, because it wasn't until Juneteenth um, in Galveston in 1865 that they got the news that they were free. However, you know, over many, many years in the black community, Juneteenth has always been celebrated in the backyards, front yards, parks, and everywhere else uh, throughout the community. And as we say, you know, um, and as we believe, we're not free until everyone is free. Uh, it's a day that everyone can um, use this day as a day of freedom and healing um, from all the police trauma, uh, the killings and the emotional and physical racism that goes on today. This is one day that we can all come together, lay down our differences, and we can read our history and know that it's not our fault, it's not their fault. It, you know, we can come together and learn uh, exactly what happened uh, for Juneteenth in 1865, and just see that on that day when we became free, a lot of more people became free. You mentioned the name Brenda Norwood. It was, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, 30 plus years ago that that Brenda and, yes. and her husband had started this. Of what, course, what took place at a at a local park uh, has turned into really a a citywide event. Well, yes, it has. I mean, Ms. Brenda Norwood did this thing for over 30-some-odd years with Juneteenth right there in McClendon, uh, West Park. Uh, did a phenomenal job and always, you know, did all the, the free food, all the activity. You know, everything was free. Um, she um, decided a couple of years ago that she was no longer going to do it on that level. And so it was going to fade away. So I happened to be at the at the city council meeting the night that it was announced. And I was really like stunned because Ms. Brenda has always did this. And I know how important Juneteenth is to her. And I just didn't want to see it die. Yeah. So I went to uh, the city and I asked uh, Teresa uh, Cohagen, you know, what can we do to keep this going? And so she agreed uh, with what we the conversation we had. And three years later, we're still going strong. So we're just praying that it continues to grow, that we continue to make Ms. Norwood proud. 
Um, and, you know, no one owns Juneteenth. Uh, it's a city event. It's for everybody. This coming Saturday, June 17th, 4 to 9 p.m. at the lot downtown right there on South Main Street. It's huge. You can't miss it. Della Sapp, we'll see you there. Yes, sir. I'll be there looking for you. Since we last spoke, the Mansfield City Council has held two regularly scheduled meetings. The following opinions of those of Michael Evans may not necessarily reflect those of the Mansfield City Council. We say top of the morning to Mayor Michael Evans. Steve, I thank you so much. Thank you for welcoming me to the moment. You had a, uh, a, a back-to-back weeks yes. in, in terms of, uh, of meetings. You had uh, June 5th and then just recently uh, uh, Monday night, June 12th. So let's go back to June 5th and start with the work session. What happened uh, that night? We began at 3 p.m. with a work session to discuss uh, several items, including trash uh, service options as well as an uh, ordinance for portable storage. And on all those, I would say to the listeners, y'all stay tuned because we might be looking at a a change in regard to uh, the uh, vendors we use because, again, we live here in Mansfield. And when we saw just how high those prices were going to be with with the other group that we're working with, who I will not name, uh, we we just all cringed. And uh, again, we want to make sure that uh, our folks aren't charged more than we think they should be charged. So um, that's where we are now. Stewards of our money. We we better be stewards of the money. We have not made a decision yet, but it is coming. Stay tuned. But we definitely want to make sure we get the lower prices for our folks in regard to the portable storage. We're talking about those pods. Some of them are being kept out in the front yards just a little bit too long yeah. uh, and discussed it again, of course, uh, this past Monday. But uh, we started talking about it on the 5th. I think we're going to be able to come back with something that uh, most residents will agree with. And um, it'll, it'll, again, help the aesthetics of said neighborhoods. We're moving into now 7 o'clock. The, uh, the general session happened and started with awards. We presented the President's Volunteer Service Award to several members of our volunteer program and the volunteer community. Uh, this group of residents, they always rise to the occasion, and they just offer selfless service. So, hey, hats off to them and to those groups of individuals that uh, did that. Looked like a pretty short meeting because awards right into consent agenda. That's yeah. uh, so. Uh, what was on the agenda? All right, let's talk about the uh, consent agenda. Council approved all three agenda items, including a resolution authorizing a change order and providing additional funds for the Lone Star, a thirty-inch water line with uh, Blue Star Utilities LLC for an amount not to exceed $84,637. And watch this, 11 cents. 11 cents. 11 cents. And we also approved the uh, May 22nd uh, regular city council uh, meeting minutes. And um, you're right, this moved quick because right after that, uh, we moved to uh, two new business items. Yep. Uh, the first uh, being a discussion about possible change to Chapter 155.092, and that is landscaping and screening standards, uh, primarily for our businesses in the industrial district. There's some discussion about whether uh, our regulations are a bit too uh, ardent, so to speak. And, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna keep talking about that because we do want some kind of screening up there on those buildings. But then at the same time, uh, we, we, we don't, we don't want to be, um, just overly 
you know, I, I guess the words we don't want to go overboard. They you should know look I mean? nice. Yeah, they should look nice. They should look nice. But but, but then we we want to make sure that we're taking care of our industrial partners. So I believe that we're going to find common ground in order to make that happen. Uh, now, the final new business item was a discussion and possible action regarding the appropriation of what we call the ARPA funds, American Rescue Plan Act funds. Uh, these are the funds that was d- distributed to municipalities throughout the country because of COVID and, and, and approving a memorandum of understanding with the Tarrant Area Food Bank. And um, in regard to this particular measure, uh, the city council, uh, we did uh, uh, we did not approve it. And again, we stand together on that. We did not approve it. So um, what you saw was, uh, in response to to that, uh, um, um, my, my partner in service, Casey Lewis and I, uh, not as mayor and council mem- member, but... Uh, two as, members uh, of the community. Two members of the community, two friends. Uh, we just asked people if they would uh, help to uh, donate to that effort. And that is just signing people up for SNAP benefits. Uh, because one of the things that we know is that there are about 10,000, 10,000 eligible people in Mansfield prop the city limits uh, who qualify for that our school district uh, you, you've got about 47% of our kids who qualify for free and reduced lunch here in Mansfield we know that we're missing about 2000 families mm. individuals who are who don't have that benefit now why do you want that well most people remain on snap for about 6 months to a year mm-hmm. all right and um, these are dollars to help them to uh, go to grocery stores and other places like that to shop for the food. Now, uh, Kroger's has uh, um, donated $330,000 in regard to in-kind donations for delivery. People will be able to use their SNAP card. They can go and shop online, and they can have their food delivered to their home. Now, we have a line of people at Bethlehem. I'll use our example. Sure. Every Wednesday. We served right about 250 families last Wednesday. These are people in food lines, but guess what? We can't offer that service but from 10 a.m. to 12 noon. Yeah. We've got a whole lot of people who are working 9 to 5, 10 to 6. You understand what I'm saying? They can't get in those lines. We want to move people toward independence. Uh, pardon me, but I am a preacher. Uh, Jesus made it clear, we'll have the poor with us always. So there are enough poor people to go around where we can all help. And we got to have the entire community working together. No no us versus them or this group versus that group. We're saying, hey, we're going to lean in. We're going to help people together. And um, we're going to help help our local food pantries to grow even. And, and, and that's that's. You know, just a sidebar, but uh, Casey and I did that. We needed $37,000. We are about $10,000 away from making that happen. And uh, I also made a statement that night, Steve. Yeah. I I want people to understand that everybody on that council loves the Mansfield community. And every person on that council will give you the shirt off their back. They will help people, and we do help people, and we'll continue to do it as a unit. Uh, Casey and I just believe that it was important for us to um, render said community service, and uh, that's the way that went. That concluded June 5th, and so we move on to June 12th. And by the way, June 12th, 
I'm sure the meeting was over by by this time, but uh, was also the the hailstorm of, uh, of of twenty. That so we're recording this on Tuesday morning. That was last night. Yes. Did you get any damage at the uh, the Evans household? <clears throat> Hallelujah. No. No. Nice. But uh, uh, Todd Tenora sent me um, a picture of a of, of a hailstone that was about the size of a tennis ball. Oh yeah. Uh, um, Tamra. Uh, Bounds and and some others sent me some pictures. We got out of that meeting at eight o'clock. The hailstorm came about nine ish, ten ish. Right, man. Let me tell you something. I, I hope every resident is safe and well. But those were some big hailstones, my oh, friend. When yeah. I saw it coming, I said, "Oh hail!" As in H A I L. I'm just saying. That's right. You know, that's as a right. Preacher, we would. Oh hail! My next door neighbor was on the morning news this morning. It uh, was big. He got damage to uh, his son's brand new truck. Make you want to cry? Oh my gosh! That was last night. That was yeah. that was Monday night, June 12th. Also Monday night, June 12th was the uh, the city council meeting. Starting off with the MVP. Of the volunteer coordinator recognition. And the MVP for this year is, drum roll, no, none other than Julie Scheffler. She received the Hometown Hero Award from the Modern Woodman Financial Group. Congratulations to you, Julie Scheffler, for the great work that you do. Next on the agenda, it's Parks and Rec Month. It is Parks and Rec Month, and we're blessed to have some of the best parks in the region. And I'm asking people, Steve, to take this month to explore all that Mansfield has to offer. We also use this time to thank the hardworking staff who keep our Parks fun, accessible, and safe. Junior ROTC, they're a great group of people. They uh, they help mold our future leaders. Uh, they were also recognized. They were recognized. We appreciate always Sergeant Kenner and the Mansfield High School JROTC. Uh, they were with us on last night. Let me tell you something. These young people marching through sunshine and rain, over 5,000 cadets showed up on the drill pad uh, to display their fitness and teamwork uh, in Daytona Beach, Florida. And let me tell you something. These young people continue to put Mansfield on the map. Tell me about Council of the Year. Yeah. Also in this meeting, the uh, City Council took time to celebrate its recognition as the uh, Texas City Management Association's Council of the Year for 2022. And and I know that I speak for the council when I say that we are honored to uh, serve on the behalf of the citizenry of Mansfield, Texas. Thank y'all for allowing us to serve you, and uh, we appreciate you. You had some good news, uh, because I know the council loves to help the residents save money. Guess what? We we were able to finalize uh, uh, just where the council increased the homestead exemption from 12% to 14%. And this is one way that we can provide more tax relief to our residents and one that we will continue to examine. So stay tuned on that, guys, uh, because uh, we've got more work that we have to do in this area. There you go. Hey, we'll see you this Saturday, Juneteenth. Will we not? Yes, we will from 4 to uh, 9 p.m. I'll be there uh, with bells on, my friend. There's going to be music, food trucks, and a whole lot more. So I hope to see you there. We call this a moment with the mayor. Now, you've already had two meetings in June. Are you done for the month? 
Technically, yes, Check. we're done for the month. Uh, we still have other meetings that uh, we are all a part of in the county. But the work of the mayor is never done. But... Never done. But it's all good. It's all good work. Yes. But it, it, it's never done. But um, we'll meet again in July. All right. Happy Father's Day. And uh, we'll see you in July. Thank you for the Father's Day shout out. And happy Father's Day to all of our listeners and mamas and papas and kids. Y'all take care. Daddy. All right. Thank you, buddy. Mansfield is growing in student population in some areas of town and declining in others, requiring the Mansfield ISD Growth and Attendance Zone Committee to look at the possibility of rezoning the high schools in the district. The committee, along with a hired demographer, has come up with three attendance zone possibilities. They will host a community meeting on Thursday, June 22nd from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Center for the Performing Arts, where they will share their recommendations with the community and gather feedback before presenting their recommendations to the superintendent's leadership team and board of trustees. The Board of Trustees will then take the committee's recommendations and the community feedback to develop a long-range facilities plan. The Growth and Attendance Zone Committee was formed in February 2023 to study and offer recommendations to the superintendent's leadership team on projected growth, attendance zones, building capacities, and building utilization. The committee is composed of more than 80 district stakeholders, including parents, staff, and community members. Lots of events going on around downtown this weekend, and one of those takes place in historic Mansfield. It is the affectionately known as the 4Ds event, and we'll tell you what those 4Ds are. With us on the phone is Karen Rust. She is the general manager of Dirty Job Brewing. First of all, Karen, welcome to About Mansfield. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having me again. And this Saturday, the 17th, from noon to four, explain to the listeners what the four Ds are and and tell us about the event. Okay, so the four Ds are dads drinking downtown with dice. So uh, what we're doing, it's, so it's 12 to four, Saturday, June 17th, um, and we've got nine participating boutique shops downtown that are, are going to be um, hosting and so basically what you're going to do is go from shop to shop. You'll pick up your score sheet at your first location, whichever location you want to start at. You get six dice. You'll roll them twice. And then the total number of sixes will be your score. And uh, the shop owner, manager, whoever's on duty that day will write down your score and initial it. And so you'll hit every location on the sheet. The highest number of dice is going to receive a gift gift basket with all kinds of uh, golf goodies, including a round of golf and several other golf-related items. It's not just open to dads. It's going to be open to dads and moms. So anybody can play. And um, yeah, we'll just uh, stop and shop at each place and roll your dice and hopefully you win. What are some of the other uh, vendors that are going to be participating as well? Andy Max Candy Shack, mm. of course, Dirty Job Brewing, Desarkle, Paisley Grace, Flying Squirrel, Dr. Smith, the Historic Downtown Museum, uh, Guild of Wonders, and Lashed Downtown. And the winner doesn't have to be present to win, is that correct? You don't have a specific starting point and or ending point. Therefore, wherever your last spot is, you will drop off your score sheet with that shop owner. We'll gather them all at the end of the day at, you know, after it ends, so 4.30, and then we'll tally the score. And then we'll call 
the winners. Well, Karen, it sounds like a really fun event. Dad's drinking downtown with dice. And of course, it's the day before Father's Day. Saturday the 17th, 12 to 4, nine locations downtown open to moms and dads and anybody else over 21 who wants to participate. Uh, Karen, I know that Dirty Job Brewing does a lot of events downtown. Do you have anything coming up in July? Yeah, we've got a fundraiser on the 1st. We've got a fundraiser on the 23rd. It'll be our sixth anniversary on July 7th. So a lot of stuff coming up in July as well. That's Karen Rusk, General Manager of Dirty Job Brewing. Karen, appreciate your time, and thanks for being on About Mansfield. All right. Thank you. For a second consecutive year, Mansfield ISD received the Best Communities for Music Education designation from the National Association of Music Merchants Foundation, or NAM. The honor is given to districts that demonstrate outstanding achievement in providing music access and education to all students. To qualify for the Best Communities designation, districts answer detailed questions about funding, graduation requirements, music class participation, instruction time, facilities, support for the music program, and community music-making programs. Responses are then verified and reviewed by the Music Research Institute at the University of Kansas. Mansfield ISD is one of 830 school districts across the country to receive the Best in Music Education designation. In sports, she keeps on ticking. We're talking about Lake Ridge grad and Olympic triple jumper Jasmine Moore, who broke the third collegiate record of her career last week in Austin at the NCAA Outdoor Championships. Moore posted a jump of 48 feet, 6 inches, a new outdoor triple jump record, and the second best jump in the world this year. Moore now holds the collegiate record in the indoor long and triple jump and the outdoor triple jump. As a Florida Gator, Moore has claimed four straight triple jump titles. If you have a comment about the show, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever's on your mind locally, you can reach out to us by voicemail at 817-435-2938. Again, that's 817-435-2938. Sunday, June 18th is National Go Fishing Day, which provides a fun excuse to enjoy the great outdoors. It is also an opportunity to shed some light on the importance of fish and aquatic resources that provide important ecological, economic, and social benefits to the community. So, Sunday, June 18th, National Go Fishing Day, three options. Obviously, number one, go out and fish. Joe Pool Lake is your nearest option for white bass, white crappie, channel catfish, and largemouth bass. Option number two, build a fishing-themed playlist. Bust out your Spotify app and pick some songs that'll bring out the best angler in you. Fishing in the Dark by Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Fish and Whistle by John Prine, and The Fish by Yes immediately come to mind. And option number three, if you can't go fishing, Go eat some fish, whether it's catfish, tilapia, salmon. Texans love their fish, whether it's fried, baked, or grilled by the filet or chopped up and in a taco. Just do it. Healthline.com has a list of 11 health benefits from eating fish. And I've put a link on our website, aboutmansfield.com. It's under the links tab. So this coming Sunday, go forth, bait your hook, and cast your line. Let's head on over to the weather desk to see if Mother Nature is going to cooperate for Sunday fishing. With the forecast for the upcoming week, here's Colleen. Mother Nature's idea of fishing this coming Sunday seems to involve a lot of heat. So if that's your idea of a good day fishing, you're good to go. 
Let's take a look at the weather for the next seven days in Mansfield, Texas. We knew this was coming. The gates of hell are indeed opening starting this weekend. We're looking at a high of 91 degrees Wednesday, 101 degrees Friday, 101 degrees Sunday, and 103 degrees Tuesday. Coming up after the break, we turn the page to the features section. Ready to dip your toes in the water? The world's largest swim lesson is coming to Mansfield. We'll talk about it in Methodist Mansfield News to Know. You've decided you want to buy a house. Congratulations! Now, why doesn't your real estate agent just show you all the houses you like? We're going to talk about the pre-approval today on the Mansfield Real Estate Report. In this week's Cocktail of the Week, I'll be talking about a cocktail that might have you under the table and dreaming. We are Mansfield's only source for news, talk, and information. I'm Colleen Daniel, and this is about Mansfield. This portion of the news was brought to you by Trinity Roofing and Construction. The housing market is evolving as interest rates rise to meet inflation. Speculation abounds as to what the future may hold. Do you have a trusted advisor? The Roger and Beth team at Century 21 Judge Fight should be your first call in all matters concerning real estate and the market. We specialize in residential real estate for both buyers and sellers. With industry partners across North America, our resources and expertise can turn the home you've been envisioning into a reality. Visit our website at homesinmansfield.com to learn more. That's homesinmansfield.com. I'm Philip Washington, Chief Investment Officer of Stonehill Wealth Management and host of the Wealth Building Made Simple podcast. First book I read in college was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it changed my life. And since then, I've read tons and tons of books on money. And what I've done is taken those lessons, simplified them, and I talk about those lessons on my podcast, Wealth Building Made Simple. So come hang out with us. We're on every major platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on YouTube. Wealth Building Made Simple. Congratulations to Diana Medell, who was the first person to correctly answer last week's Mansfield trivia question. What are the latitude and longitude coordinates for the intersection of Broad and Main Streets in historic Mansfield? Google Maps could have helped you out in knowing that it's 32.56353 by negative 97.14202. Diana has won a $25 gift card to the restaurant of her choice. When we come back, this week's trivia question. This is about Mansfield. Hi, this is John with Pool Aid, your local pool care specialist. With the exceptional amount of rain that we've experienced so far this year, spring is a vital time to clean pool filters, skim leaves and debris, and keep skimmers clean to ensure proper circulation as well as keep your pool sweep in good working condition. If you have any questions or concerns or need a certified professional to help keep your pool safe and clean, visit us on the internet at poolaid.net. That's poolaid.net. We're here for you. At Methodist Mansfield Medical Center, we've been caring for our home team for over 15 years. Today, you'll find award-winning physicians on the medical staff, advanced neurosurgery, a level three trauma center, critical care for newborns, and comprehensive orthopedic care. Methodist Mansfield, delivering the care our friends, neighbors, and home team depend on. That's community, and why so many people trust Methodist. Hi, this is Joe Jenkins with Joe Jenkins Farmers Insurance, specializing in auto, home, commercial, and life insurance. 
I was born and raised here in Mansfield, Texas. We're active in the community, and Mansfield's a town we really care about. Our office has over 30 years' experience in the insurance industry, and we're passionate about what we do and about customer service. For a free quote, please visit our website at joejenkinsinsurance.com or give us a call at 817-472-6058. Once again, that website is joejenkinsinsurance.com. It is time right now, this very second, for the highly coveted, wildly popular about Mansfield trivia question. If you are the first person to email the correct answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com. You will receive a $25 gift card to a Mansfield restaurant of your choice. It's brought to you by Joe Jenkins Insurance. Whether you're looking for homeowners, auto, commercial, or any other type of insurance, Joe has helped Mansfield area residents understand the insurance coverage that best fit their needs since 2010. You can find him on the internet at joejenkinsinsurance.com. By the way, Joe has been sponsoring the Mansfield trivia question for one full year, and we thank him for his support. And as I say every week, not every winner submits their answer on Wednesdays. So if you're listening on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whenever, give it a shot. You might be taking home a $25 restaurant gift card. Let's get to this week's question, Colleen. Well, Steve, the city of Mansfield has just one zip code, 76063. But with Grand Prairie... Arlington, and other municipalities bordering Mansfield, we are surrounded by 11 zip codes. This week's trivia question is, can you name the 11 zip codes that border Mansfield? Email your answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com. Again, can you name the 11 zip codes that border Mansfield? Good luck, and thanks to Joe Jenkins Insurance, for the gift card. Hello, this is Tracy Hackler from the Texas Roadshow, and you are listening to About Mansfield. Welcome back to About Mansfield, your audio newspaper. Let's open up the features section. Angel Biasati has the episode off this week with Methodist Mansfield News to Know. And filling in for Angel is the Trauma Program Manager for Methodist Mansfield Medical Center. Her name is Tamara Jones. She's on the phone with us. Tamara, welcome to About Mansfield. Thank you so much for having me. Today's topic, the world's largest swim lesson. Tell us about it. So it will happen on June the 22nd. Uh, we will be there from 9 to 10 uh, as the park opens. And uh, it will be at Hawaiian Falls, which is at 490 Heritage Parkway here in Mansfield. Um, we're going to be promoting swim safety. Uh, Josh the Otter will be there, and he will be uh, meeting all the kids, and we'll be passing out um beach balls to the first hundred people. We'll also be uh, giving out some coloring books and some colors, and we'll be talking about swim safety tips. Again, June 22nd, what are the hours of the world's largest swim lesson? I think that they will go from nine to noon. Is this going to be a Guinness World's Record, or is this just the name of the program? That's a good one. Um, it is just the name of the program. Uh, I think this is something that Hawaiian Falls is doing. They just ask us to participate. Uh, we're going to give some safety tips. Uh, the Hawaiian Falls lifeguards are going to demonstrate some tips, and um, then we're just going to visit with the parents and tell them exactly to, you know, watch their kids, make sure somebody's always watching and those kind of things. 
the I think it's kind of obvious to parents, but to, to those that it that it's not, especially those that have little kids or or maybe even little grandkids. Maybe if you can just touch on why it's good to know the importance of swim safety. So children, one of the the biggest issues that they have is that they always want to jump into water, but they don't usually know how to swim. So they go under and then they don't know how to get back up. So what we are going to teach the children is to watch each other. If someone goes under, that they call for help right away, scream, yell, get out of the pool, go and talk to someone. Um, The other thing is we're going to promote uh, swimming lessons. Hawaiian Falls, I think, has some. The city of Mansfield has some. Um, There are some for kids that are uh, as young as six months, and it's called ISR. It stands for Infant Swimming Resource, and what it teaches the kids is to float on their back, and then they can swim towards the side of the pool, and then when they get tired, they float on their back again, and then they swim for the pool. One of the things that they have to do to graduate is is that they have to jump in with all their clothes on, because that's usually what happens. They're chasing a ball or, you know, they're just not paying attention, and they just accidentally fall in the pool. And when they have all their clothes on, then that teaches them that it's going to be more difficult than when with them just having their swimsuit on. Swimming lessons helps them learn how to float. It helps them learn how to swim a little bit. Um, We don't ever want them to go in the deep end, so want them to stay in the shallow end. Uh, A lot of times they may not know where that is. That comes with, you know, parents, um, siblings that are older helping them with that. Um, But we really want to promote safe swimming. So to recap, the world's largest swim lesson, it takes place at Hawaiian Falls, June 22nd, 9 a.m. to noon. It's right there at Heritage Parkway at 360. You can't miss it because, you know, we've all been there. And it's summertime, so get out there, learn some swim safety. With Methodist Mansfield News to Know, Tamara Jones, thanks for being with us. Thank you. That's Tamara Jones filling in for Angel Biasati with Methodist Mansfield News to Know. Realtor Beth Steinke is here to talk about the importance of getting pre-approved in the Mansfield real estate market update. You've heard me mention pre-approvals on previous episodes of the podcast. Today, I want to break down a few of the reasons why this is such a critical piece of the home buying puzzle. I can't tell you how many times in the early days of my real estate career, perfectly wonderful homebuyers would connect with me and ask to see homes. We'll call them Joe and Susan. It seems that everyone wants to go shopping first before checking to make sure they have the ability to buy. And Joe and Susan were no exception. They both had great jobs, very professional, go to the lake every weekend, certain of their price point and their ability to buy, looking in the Walnut Creek area. I mean, they're your average Mansfield, Texas homebuyers, right? But home buying isn't like window shopping. I'll explain why, so stay locked in with me. You see, Joe and Susan didn't protect their credit. It wasn't important to them at the time. And it turns out it would be 6 to 12 months before they would even be able to consider making an offer. 
Of course, this was after I had spent several Saturdays away from other buyers and even done a second showing on a house they really loved, only to find out they weren't really buyers at all. Now, they will be buyers one day, and that's great. I would follow up with them every so often, make sure they're okay, as they slogged through the pain and difficulty of trying to bring up their credit scores in the hopes that one day they would actually buy a home through me. After all, I've already invested so many hours of work, so I had to have hope. Joe and Susan just wanted to buy a house, and to them, the most important first step was to start seeing homes. But what really happens when we skip the, are you actually able to buy step? I have a lot of empathy for buyers that want to see houses. In fact, I will likely show you one or two homes as we get to know each other and assess what your needs are, how motivated you are to buy, what your timeline looks like, and if you're a real buyer or just a tire kicker. Yes, we do get people who call us to buy a house, ask us to do hours and hours of work for no pay with little intentions of actually buying. But... I have even more empathy for the seller that gets the notification for an appointment request. Immediately, they start preparing their home for the showing, cleaning up the dishes, straightening the couch, making the beds, scrambling the kids and the dogs. Stress levels go up. Emotions are heightened. Hope is through the roof. And then the showing happens. And then there's crickets from the buyer and the buyer's agent. Sellers are naturally curious. What's the feedback? Did they like the house? Are they going to make an offer? Still crickets. So we call the buyer's agent. What's the feedback? Did they like the house? Are they going to make an offer? And then we get the, oh, they are just starting their search. Well, that can be code for, I just met them and have no idea if they are pre-qualified, pre-approved, or even have jobs. Now, we get to tell our seller that no offer is coming. I've had people want to run me all over town to take pictures of empty lots for them because they've got an inheritance coming anytime and they want to build a house. Wonderful. What's your timeline? The response is, oh, I'm not quite sure. After many hours invested in research and driving and photo ops, I come to learn that the person giving the inheritance hasn't even died yet. What? I know you think I'm joking, but these are 100% true stories. The other reason a pre-approval is so important is to make sure that you can actually get all the way to the closing table. We had a huge trend of online mortgage companies pre-qualifying buyers, but not verifying any of the information until the buyer was under contract. Well, that can be an expensive and heartbreaking experience that we really prefer to avoid for our buyers. It should also go without saying that if you haven't been pre-approved by a lender, we don't even know what price point we should be shopping in. And frankly, I've never met a buyer yet that didn't prefer homes in an out-of-reach price point. We shouldn't waste precious time shopping in an unattainable price point. What a letdown when you finally know your max price or payment and you hate all of those houses because you were living your dreams, imagining yourself sunning on your beach entry resort style pool, but it turns out we'll be lucky if we can get you a jetted tub in the ensuite bath. As I've grown in my professionalism and experience, I'm able to tell pretty quickly who is a real buyer and who's going to run me around and into the ground and never buy or sell a home. And I have a well-designed process for onboarding buyers to help them better understand the process. But I know it's frustrating to want to buy a house and feel like you can't go see one. But you can. That's what open houses are for. And truth be told, the photos and the 360-degree walkthrough tours are pretty amazing these days. Or better yet, 
take all that shopping energy while you're getting your financial house in order and put it into driving neighborhoods and visiting open houses. Now back to Joe and Susan. No, they did not end up buying a house, at least not from me. Oftentimes when people say they're able to buy a half million dollar house and then they cannot, they're embarrassed and it's more comfortable to ghost someone than to work through it with them. So don't be shocked if your real estate agents push back a little to make sure that you have your pre-approval with a local reputable lender that is highly regarded and has fully verified all of your documents and information. It's not because we're busy or don't want to help you or just lazy. It's simply because we want to make the process simple and streamlined for you. Lean into our experience and trust the process, and let's go buy a house. Now, let's get to this week's Mansfield Real Estate Market Update. As of June 12th, there are 111 active and available homes for sale in Mansfield, excluding new construction. Homes this week range from $225,000, with the list topping out at $1.8 million, with 12 homes priced at $900,000 or more. Market is stable, but available home inventory is still low. A quick reminder that you are invited to our special event for About Mansfield listeners, Demystifying Wills, Trusts, and Probate, Monday, June 26 at 6 p.m. This is a real passion project for us. If you're a blended family, have children, own real estate, or a business, you'll want to attend. We are less than two weeks away, and if you don't know where to start, this event's for you. If you'd like more information, send me an email at info at aboutmansfield.com. For the About Mansfield podcast, I'm Beth Steinke with Century 21 Judge Fight. Shaken or stirred, either way, you know it's going to be good as Brian Certain dons his favorite concert t-shirt and serves up a Dave Matthews punch in the cocktail of the week. This week's cocktail of the week is the Batch Made Dave Matthews Punch. A couple of weeks ago, I started a series on cocktails that I found on TikTok, and this week's cocktail comes from at Balls and Booze. So in the realm of refreshing and tantalizing beverages, few concoctions can rival the delightfully vibrant and harmonious notes found in the batch-made Dave Matthews Punch. Inspired by the legendary musician and crafted with a blending of invigorating ingredients, this captivating drink has become a favorite among enthusiasts seeking out a symphony of flavors. From its inception to the meticulous selection of ingredients, let us embark on a delightful journey exploring the magic behind this creation of extraordinary punch. The story of a batch-made Dave Matthew punch dates back to the chance encounter between a group of dedicated mixologists and the musical genius himself. Inspired by the charisma and energy that radiated from his performances, these mixologists set out on a mission to encapsulize the essence of Dave Matthews' music in a drink. And after countless experiments, and I'm sure a few hangovers, the creative collaboration, they discovered the perfect blend that embodied the spirit of Dave Matthews' music, a punch that exudes vibrancy, zest, and a touch of soul. At the heart of the batch-made Dave Matthews punch lies a carefully curated symphony of ingredients, each playing a unique role, creating a harmonious flavor profile. Freshly squeezed citrus juices dance with the sweetness of ripe berries, while hints of tropical fruits add delicious and luscious depth. The distinctive notes of passion fruit and pineapple lend a tantalizingly complex with just a subtle whisper of mint that adds a refreshing twist. 
the delicate balance of spirits such as rum and amaretto intertwined with the fruit juices, elevating the experience to new heights. Crafting batch-made Dave Matthews Punch is an art form that demands precision and passion. Each ingredient is hand-selected, ensuring the highest quality for freshness. The fruits are carefully sliced, squeezed, and muddled, extracting their vibrant essences. The mixture is then infused with the spirits, allowing the flavors to meld and harmonize. This labor of love takes time and patience as the punch is left to age, allowing the flavors to mature and deepen. With its captivating blend of flavors, the batch-made Dave Matthews Punch is a delight for the senses. As the first sip touches your lips, you're greeted by the explosion of citrus and the juicy burst of berries. The underlying tropical notes from the Malibu rum will transport you to a sun-soaked shore, while the subtle hints of mint add a cooling breeze. The punch itself is more than a drink. It's an experience that encapsulates the essence of Dave Matthews and his music. With the blend of flavors and craftsmanship, this punch is a testament to the power of creativity. So let's raise a glass and let the melodies of taste transport you to a world of pure bliss. But as always, don't worry about taking notes. I'll be giving out all the ingredients and instructions and posting them on bourbongospel.com. So you're going to need 8 to 10 very ripe, not Walmart, limes. If you've ever had a bad lime from Walmart, you know exactly what I'm telling you not to have. You need a bottle of Malibu rum. You need a bottle of Amaretta. You need a large can of pineapple juice, and you need a half gallon of cranberry juice. To make it, you're going to take a large beverage cooler, like the Brewmate 5-gallon beverage cooler. Cut the limes and juice into the cooler along with the limes. Add the Malibu and Amaretta, then the pineapple and cranberry juice. Add lots of ice and place the top on the cooler and shake well. Allow it to meld and blend for as long as you can. But again, your party's coming and don't let it get too watered down. When you serve the drink, serve it with some sprigs of mint and with orange wheels. As I always say, I love to hear from my listeners, so reach out to me and give me your take and your input. Tell me how Dave Matthews changed your life just like he changed mine. You can reach me at brian at bourbongospel.com. And until next week, as Mark Twain said, too much of anything is bad, but too much whiskey is barely enough. Reporting for the About Mansfield podcast, I'm Brian Certain. Hello, I'm City Manager Joe Smolinski, and you are listening to About Mansfield. Welcome back to another segment of About Mansfield. I'm Steve Casillo as we make the transition from news to talk. And in the studio today, my guest is, he's an acclaimed urban planner. He's an author. He's a speaker known for his expertise in creating walkable cities. And we're going to find out exactly what a walkable city is. With a background in city planning and architecture, he has a, uh, dedicated his career to transforming urban environments into more livable, sustainable, and people-centric spaces. His influential book called Walkable City has become a go-to resource for urban planners and policymakers seeking to improve the quality of life in cities worldwide. We welcome, and it is an honor to say welcome to About Mansfield, Jeff Speck. Uh, thank you, Steve. It's it's nice to hear a bio of myself that I didn't write. You didn't. You didn't. <laughs> I don't know who wrote that one, but it's pretty you know good. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not going to tell you on on mic who wrote that. But I will tell you afterwards. Wonderful. All right. Thank you for having me. So for the the benefit of our listeners, 
Let's start with what is an urban planner? Ah, that's a good question. Yeah. There's actually a license. So I'm a, I'm a certified uh, city planner, um, but my training was almost entirely in architecture. Okay. Um, but of course, to become a licensed planner, you have to study a whole bunch of the history of planning and best practices in planning and, um, and apply and take an exam. But in fact, I would say about half the people who are practicing planning in the U.S. aren't certified and it doesn't really matter all that much. Uh, an urban planner is someone who, uh, you know, it's funny because there's all kinds of planners. There are planners who can't draw. <laughs> there are planners who focus on policy. There are planners who focus on equity. There are planners who, uh, you know, determine such things as how to provide more housing or um, how to connect housing to transportation, which is so important. Mm -hmm. um, I would characterize myself more as an urban designer, which means I'm trained as an architect and I'm very focused on design and on the shape of spaces. And um, since so many of the places I work have a lot of questions about policy and questions about housing and questions about transportation. I've made an effort to become expert on those, um, but I focus mostly on the physical attributes that make places successful or less successful. Your book is called Walkable City. Yes. And so that is the focus pretty much nowadays of what you, in fact, your TED Talk was about walkable cities and and... Explain the concept of a walkable city and, and and why it's important to a city. Well, I use the term city loosely, uh, although I don't think it scares anyone in Texas because you have cities with like 20 people in them, right? Oh, yeah. Anything in Texas <laughs> is a city. Uh, some places, uh, um, they don't want to be thought of that way. Um, but the from, you know, from a town planning perspective, um, I'm really referring to neighborhoods, and that can be freestanding neighborhoods in the countryside, which you might call a village, or collections of neighborhoods, which you could call a town, or a town that's grown up, which uh, we call a city. And um, the uh, focus is on creating those circumstances that would cause people to make the choice not to drive. In America, where most people have a car and the car is uh, in the driveway between them and everything, and it's so easy to fall into, particularly in places like this. Yes. Uh, and... Honestly, the landscape for the past 50, 60 years has been created with the presumption that everyone's going to be driving everywhere. It's a real struggle to create uh, downtowns or main streets, which is where the, the walking is most likely possible, mm -hmm. where people will make that choice to either get out of the car or start the trip without the car. That's not the goal. Although for many people, it is a goal, right? If your focus is on sustainability or health or, uh, you know, the cost of transportation, uh, there are a lot of people who enter this space first with the goal of less driving. I didn't, and I grew up loving cars and uh, sure. still love my car. Um, but when you spend enough time in city planning, and I've been doing it for 30 years, you come to realize the most successful places are the places which aren't car dependent. And therefore, you can make better places or make places better by trying to create the conditions in which people don't feel that they're compelled to use their car. So people who, uh, or, or cities or towns that, that, that then brings in mass transit or, or public transit, uh, which, you know, Texans love our cars. Yeah, the, and, head of, the head of TxDOT said not too long ago, the head of the board <laughs> said, Texas is not a public transportation state, which I thought was interesting. The largest city in the country without mass transit or public transit is our neighbor to the north, Arlington, Texas. Yeah. 
And And when you're looking at the metropolis or the scale of the region, of course, transit is the way to make it useful to people who don't have cars. But when you're looking in a neighborhood or local community, whether you're building a new one, which certainly there are like three or four new communities on the boards for Mansfield itself that I've seen proposals for, um, or when you're looking at a historic center of a city like in downtown Mansfield, there's the opportunity that people could have to inhabit these places, spend most of their time there, still use the car perhaps to get to work sure. or for those special trips to the university or to the hospital or other things that are more regional in, in scale. But, you know, for cat food or for daycare or for the ball field, these are things that should be close at hand and you shouldn't need to drive to. The, when, when you say walkable city, the first city that immediately came to mind was Paris. Sure. Where first of all, every Parisian, and they've got the the really rich desserts of creme brulee, and, and you're thinking, <laughs> oh my gosh, why aren't these people 400 pounds? Yeah, because they walk everywhere. Yeah, you've got it right. And the, the epidemiologists tell us that that you know our diet is a problem, but actually, there's a wonderful book called Urban Sprawl in Public Health, where these three epidemiologists said. It's because we've designed the useful walk out of our landscape that we are uh, expected to live shorter lives than our parents. Mm. I hope that's not the case. What are some key features that make up a walkable city? So I've got this thing I call the general theory of walkability. A little tongue-in-cheek, but I think it's pretty (laughs) accurate. Uh, And it asks that question, if you're going to get people to walk, how do you do it? The answer, of course, is the walk has to be as good as the drive. And to do that, it needs to do four things simultaneously. It needs to be useful. It needs to be safe. It needs to be comfortable. And it needs to be interesting. Or else people will make the choice not to walk. So each of those categories implies a whole bunch of choices that you would make. The useful walk has to do with mixing uses well and having the proper balance of uses and having, you know, no big, uh, um, you know, large scale single use zoning mm-hmm. in your city, which most of most of Mansfield and most other cities around here have large areas of single use that right. set up a circumstance where you're not going to be able to to walk to anything useful. And single course, use meaning sing- <clears throat> just uh, housing, just shopping. You right. Know. Your your subdivisions that yeah. you literally cannot walk a half a mile to the grocery store. Well that became the standard for American planning at, at mid century. Yeah. The idea that you would only build either a housing subdivision, a shopping mall or a shopping center, or an office park. Or maybe some large institutional enclave, or as you see here, you know, eight baseball diamonds in one place, right? But the <laughs> the idea that, and you see that everywhere. Yeah. But the idea that different uses are segregated came out of the City of Tomorrow, uh, the nineteen thirty nine World's Fair, Futurama, sponsored by Shell and General Motors and uh, other auto interests, with the idea being that um, it was somehow more convenient to separate everything from everything else. I never really okay. understand why they said that. Well, that does make sense that the the gas gas and oil companies would sure. sponsor, "Hey, we're going we're we're going to make you get in your car." Well, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it was <laughs> it was a cultural phenomenon yeah. that cut across all of American society, but it was certainly um uh you know, made the law Mm-hmm. And the federal government incentivized it tremendously with highway building and with a fed, uh, with a single family mortgage programs as well. Um, <clears throat> so people say, "Oh, Americans voted with their feet," but no, there were very powerful incentives. I wouldn't say conspiracies, but very powerful incentives that caused the suburbanization of our landscape. 
now the first thing you can do to make a place more walkable is to say, no, we need to have every use there. And of course, the, the city of Mansfield has designated now in its uh, landscape certain mixed-use uh, yeah. districts, which is where it hopes to see that sort of kind of heavy residential, but also with places to work, places to live, places to shop, all within the same, you know, walkable area. So that's the useful walk. I can take you through the other three categories if you like. Oh, yeah. But, you mentioned safe and, and interesting. There was yeah. one that started with a Comfortable. C. Comfortable. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's well, go sa safe. Safe is where I spend most of my time. All right. The useful, comfortable, and interesting walk are all principally a function of what's surrounding the public spaces. So, um, you know, comfortable and interesting has to do with well-shaped streets, good mm -hmm. edges, Outdoor living rooms, we like to be in places that have actually good edges around us because we we feel comfortable in those kind of spaces. And of course, if you have a blank wall of a parking lot or just a blank wall or the same building over and over and over again, it's just too boring and people will also choose then not to walk. So that's the interest. But the safety is, own, is really, except for a few places, it's owned by the city itself. It's the streets. Yeah. Now, of course, in many cities I work, the state owns some of the streets or the county owns some of the streets, and, and that's an uphill battle. You're fortunate in Mansfield that your old Main Street, you took it back. Right, it used to be owned by the right. state. So you actually have control of that now, mm -hmm. as you do broad as well. Um, so how are those streets engineered? Are they engineered for speeds 30, 35, 40 miles an hour and up, or are they engineered for the speeds at which pedestrians feel comfortable and are safe, which is more like 20, 15 miles an hour, which when you think about the city's geography as a whole, you realize most of it can and should, because of where we are, remain a driving city and can have those higher speeds. Mm -hmm. But in those small, limited areas, those few places, like a few blocks of Main Street or uh, Broad Street, and then in these new developments, which we hope to see, which are for mostly for people to live, um, why can't we use details that are a little more encouraging for slower speeds. And there's about a dozen of those that I work on everywhere I go. How many lanes are there? Do you have more lanes than you need? Because those encourage speeding. Right. How wide are the lanes? 10 feet used to be the standard. It's the standard again. Most of your lanes are 12 feet hmm. in your uh, in your city, uh, which of course is a highway lane. It's a 70 mile an hour lane. Why do you have that where your people are, you know, why do you have that in your main street? So uh, if we can reduce them by four feet, we got four lanes. Uh, each one is, just, so that's another eight feet. That's, that's, that's another sidewalk. Yeah. Or, or a, a, a lane of parking, for example, if you're missing it, you know, if you, if you can pull and, and parking. So, I love wide sidewalks. So well, I, I should I just, say, well, so do I, but yeah. the, 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 uh, um, among the dozen things that I do in cities often is bring back curb parking where it's been scraped off because yep. they widen the street. And now the sidewalk is right up against the, the cars moving really fast. I'd honestly rather have a, a 10 foot par uh, sidewalk protected by parallel parking than an 18-foot sidewalk with no protection because you feel the breeze of the cars coming oh, by. Yeah. And, um, bike lanes, of course, are uh, make it safer to bike, but they make it safer to drive and to walk as well. Here's a fun thing. When you have a two-lane, two-way road and you remove the center line, people drive seven miles an hour slower. And that wow. gets to the, the you know many counterintuitive, surprising... Um, risk homeostasis related choices that we make in our lives. The, the yellow line tells you that you're not going to get hit if you're on one side of it, right? So right. You're, you're comfortable going faster when the yellow line is there. So that's a little thing we do when we're making places safer is we often pull out center lines. When it comes to designing a walkable city 
have you worked with any any other cities in Texas? Uh, yes. Okay. I did a plan for a project called Beach Town in Galveston many years ago that I hear oh. is quite nice. Okay. I haven't been back there, but it's really, uh, it's a you know, resort mostly, and um, I hear it turned out very well. I'm trying to think where else I've, I mean, I've advised the city of Houston uh, a number of times. Can't say they've taken too much of my advice. Uh-oh. Um, I've worked on a project in Austin that's going through approvals right now, quite a large project for an old sh uh, shopping center in Austin that we're turning into a serious downtown. It's right. not too far from downtown. So uh, then now this goes back to the question of, yeah. of in, in designing and creating a walkable city, what are some of the challenges that you face? Uh, the typical challenge is it, it, it used to be hard to get around the zoning. Like mm -hmm. when I started doing this 30 years ago, city planners and planning officials and government officials um, didn't really, you know, they hadn't yet learned about this whole concept. Yeah. And they didn't understand necessarily why it made sense to change, you know, modern single use zoning and planning into something more traditional, which is what we do is. Um, that has changed dramatically. Also 30 years ago, we would face... Uh, public works directors and engineers at cities, um, as well, of course, as state and county DOTs that were stuck in the old mindset of designing for speed. And I should say that because road engineering in the U.S. grew out of highway engineering, there's a whole bunch of practices that make sense for highways that actually don't make sense for downtown. And the engineering profession has been very slow to learn those. Hmm. So, for example, you know, how do you, Steve, when you're on the highway, how do you set your speed? Uh, first of all, I do use cruise control, and I usually set it two to three miles an hour above the speed limit. Okay, I set it. Well, your speed limits are very high here in Texas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where I typically go, I set it for nine miles an hour over the speed limit. All right. But on the highway, your speed is determined in one way or another by the posted speed. Right. On a local street, that's entirely not the case. I mean, you might notice a speed limit sign, but chances are you're setting your speed based on all these environmental cues that make you feel safe or dangerous driving at a certain speed. So those cues include some of the things we talked about, the number of lanes, the width of the lanes, the presence of parallel parking, the presence of bike lanes, the presence of trees, which actually statistically make roads safer because people drive more slowly around when, trees. when there are trees yeah. around. Okay. Um, and a bunch of other things like center lines, as I described. Um, the way that most engineers still design downtown streets is with forgiveness. <laughs> and forgiveness is exactly the right approach when you're designing a highway. Because if the speed is a constant, then anything you can do to remove friction is going to make things safer. Wider lanes, no trees, no opposing traffic, you know, one-way traffic, uh, you know, big, long swoops, fewer intersections, all the things that make highways safer actually make downtowns um, and places with people in them more dangerous because people go faster. And so the principal resistance that we used to get and get less of now, but it is still the main thing to work through when I'm doing a plan, is from old school engineering. How do you change the mindset of a population, whether it's a a town of 80,000 or yeah. a city of 800,000 that, that, hey, we're, things are going to change. Data. Okay. It, <laughs> this, that, is, this is why I go all over the country and the world. You know, last, last week I was in Mexico. Yeah. In two weeks I'll be in Japan. You know, I go all over and I give, not that they really need me in Japan, but they seem to want me to lecture there. And I, I give lectures about what we've learned from, you know, many decades of driving and designing around driving. Um, and, 
people seem to respond to evidence. So let me give you an example. Okay. When you have a four-lane road, uh, it can handle uh, about 20,000 cars a day, and it's very dangerous because of the left turn lane. I'm not talking about a five-laner, you know, with a turn, extra turn lane. I'm talking about right. a classic four-laner, which in New England, where I'm from, we have those everywhere. Older places, like less sunbelty cities, a typical street you'll find is a four-lane road, uh, but also in the West. When you have a four-lane road, it handles about 20,000 cars per day, and it's very dangerous because there's that other lane. So, you know, you, you try to take a left, one car stops, the other car doesn't. You try to cross the street, one car stops, the other car doesn't. Um, when you take that four-lane street and you make it a three-lane street, so you turn the center turn lane, you turn, you turn the two center lanes into a turn, center turn lane. Yeah. Not a suicide lane. You're not supposed to be on it for any length of time. Right. But there's a left turn, and maybe it's interrupted by a median now and then, right? But it's, it's collective lane for left turns. That gets you an extra 11 feet or so mm -hmm. out of the road. You can put two bike lanes in, or you can add parking or do something else. The number of collisions usually drops by about half, which isn't surprising. The number of cars that the car that the road handles, that what we call the throughput, stays at twenty thousand. Does not drop. Now, see up. I mentioned our friends up in Arlington. They have a major thoroughfare, Cooper Street, mm -hmm. and Cooper Street was, I think, three and three. Uh, they did have a center turn lane, but because the speed limit, or maybe it was two and two with a center lane, mm -hmm. uh, speed limit was at some points fifty five miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And people were getting in accidents going from the turn lane turning into oncoming traffic. So yeah. they they actually put in a they probably removed a, two lanes. No, they re, no they removed the the um, they removed the middle turn lane and put in a median kind of a shelter for turning exactly. Yeah. And yeah. then Did that every, about every quarter mile they put in a a, a turn lane. Okay, yeah, yeah, and. Which was actually, yeah, I think it did help that okay. that because you know it was it was Russian roulette when you just yeah. all of a sudden you're you're driving down and then you pull into that middle lane yeah and you've got people coming at you well if the speed limit is fifty five they're doing yeah. sixty sixty five and yeah what I find is now obviously there's some roads where the volume is high enough where it needs to be four lanes or five lanes yeah. Actually, I would never do a four-laner because a three-laner is just as good. I would never do a six-laner because a five-laner is just as good for the reasons I said. When you have that shared turn lane, ideally with medians in between turns, um, then you are getting just as much efficiency as if you had two extra lanes. Right. Um, so there's no, you know, there's no volume benefit for that even-numbered extra lane. Does that go along with freeways too? <clears throat> that that because that seems to be well, the ideal uh, freeway you don't have. Left turns at all, right? You have well, yeah, controlled I mean, intersections. Meaning that, that uh, all right, you've got a three-lane freeway, then uh, all going the same direction, and then all of a sudden there are too many cars, so we're going to widen it to five lanes. But by the time five lanes opens, it's still a problem. Well, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> that's that's the, not, uh, has nothing to do with walkable cities. It has and, everything to do with it. And I'm always talking about the concept of induced demand yeah. and how in congested systems, the principal constraint to driving is congestion. Right, and that's the one kind of sentence you need to learn if you're talking to folks about widening roads in response to congestion, which never works. So the the poster child for that is the Katy Freeway in Houston. Oh, oh right? my gosh! I think it was the largest, widest highway in the world. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think China's got it beat now, but they're working to fix that. But the the experience in Texas and California, in Massachusetts, everywhere, is that uh, there may be reasons to widen a road, but congestion is not one of them. 
because when you widen a road due to congestion, you remove the traffic that was limiting driving and people just drive more. And you end up with just as much congestion as you had before. Now, you do have more mobility, more people are driving, right? Yeah. But you'd probably accomplish a lot more with a congestion-based tolling system, which would allow the road to be used much more efficiently. We're finally getting that in New York City. It's been extremely effective in Europe at reducing congestion, reducing pollution, improving transit and biking. Um, but uh, the strategy I bring to most cities is to not try and sell them on the idea of induced demand because intellectually people understand it, but then they're still like, can't we have one more lane? <laughs> I just want one more. We're talking with urban planner and author of Walkable City, Jeff Speck. And I promise we will conclude the interview in next week's episode and we will talk specifics about Mansfield. As always, this is the place where you will hear the latest Mansfield news, sports, and weather. Until then, don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, share, love, or support this podcast if you haven't already so you never miss an episode. Hey, how about going over to Apple Podcasts and giving us a five-star review? You know what? Head on over to our website, aboutmansfield.com. Enter your email address right there on the homepage. We will never send you any spam. We promise. About Mansfield is recorded at Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. Hosts, Steve Casillo and Colleen Daniel. Moment with the Mayor feature, Michael Evans. Science reporter, Dennis Webb. Methodist Mansfield News to Know, Angel Biasati. Mansfield Real Estate Market Update, Beth Steinke. Cocktail of the Week, Brian Certain. Post-production editing, mixing, and mastering, Steve Casillo. This podcast is copyrighted by Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio for the private use of our audience. Any other use of this podcast without written consent is prohibited. We thank you all for listening. On behalf of the entire news team, I'm Steve Casillo, and this is about Mansfield.